Not too strong and not too light. It seems payrolls in the US was just right on Friday. The Goldilocks number, in other words. Enough to convince people that the economy is coming back, but not so fast that the Fed is going to have to react quicker. Uh, We'll look at those numbers and look ahead to the RBA as well tomorrow uh, with its July meeting when we expect them to say something. Plus, an extra meeting from the ECB this week as well. But today, relatively quiet. They're on holiday in the United States, of course. It's Monday. It's the 5th of July, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, after seven sessions on the rise, the US dollar lost ground on Friday. It's down 0.4%. That meant the Aussie rose three quarters of 1%. The Canadian dollar was up 0.9%. The pound gained 0.4%. The euro just up 0.1%. The Aussie now sitting just below 75.3 US cents. Still a fair way off the 77, of course, that we're sitting at at mid-June. And despite Friday's rise, still 0.8% down over the week. Uh, US equities rose again on Friday. The Nasdaq up 0.8%. Uh, three Quarters of 1% for the S&P 500, 0.4% for the Dow. A much more mooted response in Europe. The Eurostox 50 is up just 0.1%. The uh, FTSE 100, uh, even less than that, hardly moved at all. And 10-year Treasury yields lost three basis points, down to 1.42%. We had a similar drop across all of Europe uh, and a bit more uh, of a fall in yields in Australia and New Zealand. No big moves in oil. Brent was up 0.4% on Friday. Uh, OPEC Plus met, of course, last week. We'll talk about that today. Tapa Strickland is director economics for markets at NAB in Sydney. So a sharp change in direction for the US dollar at the end of the week. And that was despite non-farm payrolls, which were a bit higher than expected, 800,000 new jobs in June. So not the magic million, uh, but against expectations of around 700,000. So a bit stronger and a revision upwards for May's number as well. Uh, so And yet it's knocked the wind out of the uh, the US dollar. Good morning, Phil. It was a very interesting non-farm payrolls report, you'd have to say. So you did have that headline jobs in the number beating the market consensus at 850,000 and the consensus was at 720,000. But the... Kicker there really was the unemployment rate, um, surprisingly rising to um, 5.9% from 5.8%, where the consensus was for a fall to 5.6%. So it, overall, it was a strong payrolls report, but not really enough to signal a change in the Fed's direction here. And I think that's the key takeaway here. So when you actually look at the level of payrolls, they're still 6.8 million below their pre-pandemic February 2020 levels. And at the current pace, uh, if we got June's number again, um, it would take about eight months to get back to pre-pandemic level of payroll. So it doesn't suggest there's a need for the Fed to accelerate its asset tapering talk. And uh, it also probably pushes back uh, talk of a rate hike in 2022, back to that kind of 2023 picture. And I think that's a key reason why you did see the US dollar decline and why you saw yields lower in the aftermath of that report. So would it do it? I mean, people were looking for that million, weren't they? That if, if, if it hit the magic million, then it would have been a very different story. But the other the other thing was our average hourly earnings. They were up, but not as much as expected. So I guess it's a similar story there. I mean, 3.6% year on year. Uh, but, you know, that's, it, it, again, that could have been higher and everyone would have been, would have been concerned. At that level, everyone's just going, oh, yeah, this is just the the transitory inflation that we're going to see die down again. Yes, and a key reason why more people are coming along to that transitory view on at least the wages front is when you look at the jobs gains in the month, about 40% of those gains are in the leisure and hospitality sector. And we know those sectors anecdotally have been leading a lot of the job, uh, a a lot of the pay rises, especially in terms of sign-on 
bonuses with lots of anecdotes of labor shortages. But when you actually look at the level of payrolls in that industry, there's still 2.2 million fewer jobs in June than in February 2020. So it does suggest uh, as the labor market uh, gains more momentum, as, as that vaccine threshold rises in the US and people are more confident to come back into the labor market, uh, then there's still a lot of people who could come back into that leisure and hosp- hospitality sector and uh, alleviate those pressures being seen on the wages front. Yeah, and we're seeing this in, as you said, in, in bond yields. So a 10-year Treasuries down to 1.42%, which is the lowest yield since March. Yes, yeah, that's right. In fact, the, the initial market reaction was uh, to a slightly hawkish payrolls print, but then when people delved into the details, uh, a more of a dovish interpretation uh, came out of it. And it's just worth noting, I think after the last two payrolls, so we've had three consecutive payrolls where yields have fallen in the wake of that. So our markets have been taking the last number of payrolls as more of a dovish view uh, in terms of the progress being made on, on the labour market. And uh, it's just interesting as well, even when you have had hawkish signals, uh, such as that coming from the FOMC meeting um, earlier in the month. Um, you you saw yields decline in the aftermath of that. So it seems like there's a little bit of resistance there in order to see uh, in seeing yields higher. So lower interest rates for longer and uh, equity investors love that. I just, <laughs> how long is this run going to go for, I wonder? Well, I think the Fed's Harker late last week really put the nail on it. And he basically suggested that tapering, when it does occur, uh, could be done by uh, reducing purchases by $10 billion a month. And so that basically means tapering would take about 12 months to complete in total and uh, mm. that basically almost rules out uh, the possibility of a rate hike in 2022 according to that profile and obviously the Fed's Harker is a non-voter here uh, but you'd really need to see an acceleration in that tapering profile in order to get rate hikes uh, into 2022 uh, and so that is providing a pretty positive environment in terms of equities at, at the moment but at the same time because you have seen that acceleration in jobs gain uh, particularly in the last month uh, you've seen commodity prices higher as well. Right, and a change in direction for the RBA. Well, we're expecting it, aren't we? Uh, There's been enough signalling for it and uh, all the signs are there that they're going to deliver something tomorrow. I just wonder how much of what they're going to be delivered uh, has already been priced into the markets ahead of time. So at the RBA meeting, there's going to be two key decisions. So the first one is whether they roll their three-year YCC target and uh, how they're going to calibrate their third QE program. And it's just worth noting, Governor Lowe is also holding a post-meeting press conference uh, after the monetary policy decision and that's really stoking a lot of expectations of a significant policy turn just given the last post-meeting speech was actually back in November when the RBA announced its initial QE program. Uh, In terms of the consensus there, uh, most people expect the three YCC target not to be rolled so to be kept to the April 2024 bond and for QE to go onto a more flexible path and perhaps also to be tapered. Uh, NAB's view is also that the RBA will not extend its three YCC target but we also expect uh, QE uh, to be uh, tapered to our 75 billion for another six months. And when you look at the data that we have seen from Australia over the past year, you'd have to say the need to run QE at 100 billion every six months is probably not there. And I think it's probably worth that mm. the RBA starts to taper QE purchases from here. But just uh, unfortunate, the timing with Sydney in lockdown, of course, and, uh, you know, the, the slow vaccine rollout. So, I mean, we are seeing the economy recovering, but, you know, we're not going to open the borders. I mean, there was a, the ABC was saying uh, on their website this morning, if they carried out the, the, the current rate of roughly 870,000 doses a week, then we can expect to reach the 40 million that's needed to fully vaccinate Australia's adult population uh, in mid-March next year. So <laughs> the border is going to be closed for a long time on that basis. Uh, definitely. But it's just worth noting that expected supply of uh, vaccines is likely to 
pick up over the second half of mm. this year. And according to the government's supply schedule, and obviously those schedules are subject to, to revision, um, you could possibly get to um, that kind of 80% vaccination level. Uh, that's probably needed in order to uh, stop the practice of snap lockdowns and to start thinking about whether we should start reopening our international borders by about the end of November of this year. Um, so we'll be looking quite closely about whether incoming vaccine supplies matches up with that supply schedule. Uh, and just going back to the RBA meeting just very quickly on that three-year YCC, um, by not rolling the three-year YCC target, it, it pivots the RBA back to outcomes-based forward guidance. So I think there's going to be a lot of interest uh, on when the RBA expects the conditions to be met for a rate hike. And this is one avenue where Governor Lowe could remain dovish and push back on market pricing, which is currently penciling in a rate hike as early as November 2022. And are they going to continue to say, well, it's, you know, house prices are just a consequence, not really uh, our game, unlike the RBNZ, because, I mean, obviously they are kicking up. And we had, uh, uh, you know, the, the the new housing loan approvals that we saw at the end of the week were pretty strong, but also, you know, house prices are going up as well. And, uh, you know, is it going to, are we going to get to the stage where there's just too much debt being racked up? It's a, it's a very good question. And you are starting to hear a few more soundings out there, particularly within the media um, uh, Alex saying that uh, the regulators are contemplating taking some action in this space. And we did get some pretty strong new housing finance approvals on the investor side. So investor housing finance approvals for May were up 13.3% month on month. And that takes the level of investor housing approvals uh, to the highest since 2015, back when the regulators were implementing a lot of those macro prudential uh, changes there. So um, NAB thinks that there is a risk that we have some tightening in those macro Prudential policies are in the second half of this year, and that potentially that occurs earlier in in the second half. Right now, the ECB. I mean, they're not scheduled to hold a meeting this week, but they are holding a a meeting. I think it's a, a meeting to discuss the final part of their eighteen month strategy review, uh, and and that question about how symmetrical is symmetrical when it comes to their two percent inflation target. So we we should get something out of that meeting. It's sort of like an extraordinary meeting for the ECB. So we should get something out of that this week, shouldn't we? Oh, we should. And the soundbites have been coming out from a number of ECB officials, although they haven't formally concluded that view. Uh, that that review is that there will be a formal shift to a more symmetrical two percent inflation target, and pivots the ECB to be more aligned with what the FOMC is doing as well, and indeed what the RBA is trying to do as well. So uh, OPEC, uh, OPEC Plus meeting again today. I think I, I think they were hoping that they were going to finish their talks off last week or over the weekend, weren't they? But the, the UAE is playing hardball because they're, uh, they're, they're, they're I think they basically think they're being undone, unfairly done by that they've got more uh, resources which are just lying unused than uh, than anybody else. So there's a bit of dither and delay going on here. So presumably that could. Well, that would push the US dollar up, wouldn't it, if, the, if that carried on for longer? Yeah, so the um, key uh, thing they're debating here is whether to extend those uh, global packs to cut oil production beyond April 2022. And uh, those negotiations are expected to resume on Monday here. And you'd expect if no agreement is made, then uh, you obviously get a higher uh, oil price. Still a way off, though, isn't it? I mean, you know, we're talking about something that could happen next year. There's plenty of time for them to sort it out. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I guess that's the way oil reacts, isn't it? Uh, look, uh, today uh, we get the uh, Caging Services PMI for China. We get more services PMIs for Europe and the UK. And uh, Christine Lagarde talking today. But as we said earlier, you know, it's uh, US holidays. So it's a very quiet day today. Oh, yes. It's a very quiet day indeed. In, in Australia, we also get... Uh, 
building approvals and a final measure of retail sales, but they're also unlikely to be all that market moving, just given the focus on the RBA on Tuesday. All right. Well, a quiet start to a busy week. We'll leave it there for now. Good to talk, uh, Tapas. Catch you again very soon. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. Take a longer lunch today. Uh, might be the only chance you get this week. That's it for today. I'm Phil Dobby for now. Back again with another edition of The Morning Call tomorrow. See you then.